Welcome to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you take control and give us a call, and maybe we can talk you off a ledge or something. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. What a way to start. Hello. <laughs> yeah, i got to start with a bang, you know, or a thud or, a thud, or something. Or, or a flop. Yeah. But it's Wayne with you tonight. And Michelle. As you could tell. She's pretty hard to, to uh, mistake for anybody else. And, you know, Michelle, a lot has happened since we were together on this show a month ago. As you know, on the on the 11th of March, you had the tsunami and earthquake, earthquake, tsunami, meltdown. Mm-hmm. There's just been so many things with, with war, with oh, the, the war, the, the, the word, the world is just going crazy. And going to hell in a handbag, as my grandmother would say. Yeah, my grandmother used to say the same thing. <laughs> and she also, my grandmother also said, your health is your wealth, by the way. But anyway, you know, so much has happened in the last month. I, I don't even know where to start here, you know. Um, and, and with all this stuff going on, of course, it's going to mean more money printing, more debasement of the money that we do have, either saved or we make. And, you know, I, I'm really more concerned. More restriction on, on uh, trade, period. You know, yeah. I, I don't necessarily mind there being printed money or, or I just want competitive currencies. Mm-hmm. If some people want to deal in monopoly money and print it out and, and think that it's valuable to them and, and accept and people are willing to accept that as for trade. Great. I would not be willing to accept a fiat currency if for my wares if I had the choice. Yeah, I agree. Because we have monopoly mm-hmm. uh, we have these legal tender laws we don't really have much choice in many cases now i mean people get get around that and all but it's just nice when you have an honest money system where people's savings is 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 preserved it's buying power you know you, you can have a million dollars in the bank but weimar Ger- germany showed us that you, in 1917 you could buy a, a pair of shoes for about 17 reich marks and by mm-hmm. the time 1923 rolled around it cost 87 trillion reich marks mm-hmm. so Having a million dollars doesn't do much when when we're talking about billions and trillions. Mm-hmm. If they if it gets that bad now, interesting. It, it, interestingly enough, though, you know they've been denying this inflation thing for a while, and the official numbers are still really crazily low. But even Walmart now is coming out and saying that serious inflation is coming. And in the word "serious," they they that's a quote, direct quote, and that tells me when someone like Walmart comes out and says it that. You know, we could have some some serious price increases on the horizon here. Well, you know, there is debate whether or not we're going to see an inflationary depression, a deflationary depression. The one word, though, that's that's uh, used in both cases is depression. And, you know, whether or not um, uh, you had a grandmother like Wayne's or, or mine, I imagine that um, you've heard people say that you ought to just simply be prudent my grandparents, you know, were alive during the Depression here in the United States. And, and uh, even when my grandfather was 90 years old, he was still canning tomatoes that were grown in the garden mm-hmm. and green beans and things like that. And that was just, you know, wise, uh, you know, wisdom. And um, I know a lot of people, you know, will get hung up on whether or not there's conspiracies and whether or not they agree, agree with the 9-11 truthers or whether or not they believe in it that a depression's coming or whether or not they buy into the FEMA camps or or uh, national disasters, but we've seen just in the last couple of years that uh, that the people that had water and the people that had an ability to defend themselves as well as food to sustain themselves were typically able to stay within their home and protect their property and you know kind of wait for everything to blow over. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just think that's sound thinking. Well, I was in L.A. during the the, the Rodney King riots and during the big uh, Northridge earthquake in '94. 
And and I can tell you that I remember during the Rodney King riots, if you saw on the television, the Korean businessmen who were up on the roofs of their businesses, basically de- defending and protecting them against looters. Right. And they had they had Glocks and they were they were they were popping off some caps. Do you have a gun? I don't talk about that stuff. Oh, really? No. Well, it's legal to have guns. Here no, I know. I know. But, you know, it, my, my, my mind is my weapon. Everything else is just a tool. Yeah, I don't have guns actually, I, mm-hmm. and um, but uh, but I've thought about getting some. We're gonna have you know, a little gun church here in a few <laughs> Sundays. Um, it's pretty exciting. Well, well, you know what? It isn't how many guns you have because a lot of people have a lot of guns. It doesn't mean anything really. Just being able to use one of them would be enough for most people. Yeah, I'm really great with a garden hose. <laughs> I mean, I could do some damage, you know. So if it's just a matter of defending yourself and. You know, in your property or whatever. Um, well, I, I'm I've been into a student of improvised weapons over the years, and th- no, really, seriously, there's some places I'm where simply smiling and like saying yes, that's great. Not, I'm not laughing at you. Wayne. No, no, I know, but no, improvised weapons are interesting because you'd be surprised what you can use that could, if you had to defend yourself, even a magazine, your rolled up magazine, someone, right? Yeah, if you had to, if you were in a place, let's say, you know, you travel to Massachusetts or New York, and and you don't, you have guns, but you don't take them with you when you go there and you're in a bad spot you know which I, i've been in a bad spot in big cities before where i didn't have a, any weapons on and me. you're a you're a big strong man it's not like you well you know, well the first the first yeah but the first step is is how you carry yourself and and, and how you react to your stimulus and and so you see predators look for people who are weak they look for people that are easy prey they don't they People who gonna, are looking down, texting while, while they're walking along the street. Yeah, things like that. <laughs> but getting back to this whole world situation, Michelle, uh, I, I agree. I've heard a lot of people say, well, we're going to go into deflation or inflation. Um, both are, can be bad. I think the deflation thing, if they just let it happen, that's what really wants to happen, is that really the economy wants to collapse because it's, it's too bloated and it's too mm-hmm. malinvested. And so the best thing they can do is let it deflate quickly and then be over it and through, but they don't want to do that because then they lose control of the economy, the central planners do. So instead, they, they're going to print money as a result of the deflation uh, to, to fight deflation so that the banks don't go belly up because now all of a sudden they have all these debts and, and the money's so tight. So they keep pumping trillions of dollars into the system to keep it afloat, and they're pumping a lot of money to foreign countries. So they're actually exporting a lot of inflation right now, and that works only for a time. Once these other countries become saturated with dollars and then maybe even stop taking dollars and stop using dollars, that's when the chickens come home to roost, so to speak. That's when the money starts pouring back here because then they start buying real assets with the dollars and the dollars end up coming back home in a big way. And mm-hmm. most of the dollars that are in existence today are held offshore. Well, so you are... I'm, I'm, I would on say that I'm in the inflation. Camp, I'm in the inflation camp because right. I think that's the most likely way that they'll default on the debt rather than just mm-hmm. defaulting. Mm-hmm. They will print their way. It'll be a print default rather than a, a just a, a all out default saying we can't pay. That would make de- uh, cause deflation to ha- happen quickly. Right. There, I, I don't like the words inflate and deflate when I'm thinking of um, just the economy. It's one thing, the money supply, That's, but I don't equate the economy with the money supply. Right. So I um, think in terms of growth and decay or um, expansion, contraction. Mm-hmm. I, I like to use those words more when I'm just talking about economics. Sure. Um, sure. In and, a macroeconomic sense, you're right. But see, a contraction is what needs to happen. Yes. And I like the word, though, and the visual contraction rather than deflate because, right. you know, um, but when you inflate, have a, But when you have a contraction, many times the money supply does deflate. 
Yes. Uh, however, the two can be independent. You can have a contraction like in the 70s and have inflation. They call that stagflation. But I don't think of inflation and deflation as... Um as either one being a positive thing, I do think of contraction and expansion both mm-hmm. as being positive things because both are necessary for growth. Right. I mean, if you consider like a woman in labor, it's it's essential that things contract and expand, mm-hmm. you know, in order for there to be forward momentum. And when I think in terms of inflate and deflate, it's more of a balloon that's nice and, and round and healthy looking versus saggy and i think that using those those words can give us visuals like oh well inflation's good you know what i mean well that that's what they try to sell uh, to the public mm-hmm. and the problem of course nowadays is they don't really have to print anything they just click a mouse and they can make 2 trillion dollars with a click of a mouse without having to even run the printing presses where's that mouse exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> But but that that's the part that I think some of the deflationists uh, fail to remember is that they can print an unlimited amount of money in un, in, in, the, in the shortest period of time, and and of course we're all going to suffer gonna, for it. If other they, countries are going to start dumping the debt, which they're starting to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, we'll be back with Wayne and Michelle on Free Talk Live Sunday Edition. We'll talk with you soon. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where we want to know what's on your mind. You can give us a call. The number is 603-435-1105. Let us know what's on your mind. And with you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle and I were kind of talking about world events in the last hour, or the last segment, rather, and all the things that have gone on since we met last month, around the first Sunday. And But right now... I've got a little surprise for you. We have a special guest who I've been trying to get on for a while, and we've been talking, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he's an interesting guy. He's, he's uh, listen to Latin America. His name is John Mueller. And I'll, here, here's his bio, Michelle. And let me, let, tell me if Let's this is... Let's just clarify. You, aren't tr- you haven't been trying to get on him. You've been trying to get him onto the show. But that's a better use of language, yes. Okay. okay. I just, I mean, I'm so, I'm so immature. I just lost it, right, that I'm sorry. It's, it's the fact that I hang out with teenagers all the time. No, you're right, because they have to use language more sharper themselves. <laughs> but for nearly 20 years, John has lived in and around 21 Latin American countries and has produced and hosted various English radio talk shows broadcasting from Guatemala, Costa Rica, Panama, Honduras, Colombia, extending to other major Latin American markets, logging in over 2,000 hours of live radio time. He's interviewed hundreds of Latins from all walks of life, from deposed presidents to Latin media stars like Shakira and Selma Hayek, to fugitive narcos, street urchins, and even coffee pickers. With an MBA and a BS in biomedical engineering, John Mueller tried his hand at many Latin-based businesses, some of which took off and some that crashed. In addition, he's bought, built, and sold a dozen houses in four different Latin countries, so he has a lot to say about the lessons learned. But most of all, he's discovered how to live well the third, in the third world on only a fraction of the money it took to live the good life back in his old hometown of Chicago with a fraction of the stress. After 20 years in the third world trenches, John knows the ins and outs of Latin life. He's been ripped off, shot at, sued, and kidnapped 
by his own lawyer, no less. Whoa. And though that sounds horrible, he's found there are easy ways to avoid stepping in the puddles. And in fact, there are huge advantages for any gringo who wants to live and work in Latin America. On the plus side, he's made many good friends, has glorious adventures, and has had a few, more than a few unforgettable romances, not to mention he's rubbed elbows with diplomats, presidents, blue bloods, and kings, and found most of them okay, to be well, well, pretentious jerks. Okay, well, I want him jerks. to tell me this, okay. all about this. Come on now. Okay, I just want to give you a little background on John. But let, let's, uh, let's bring him on here and say hi. Hello, John Mueller. Hey, how you doing? Hey, we're doing great. How You're you on doing? Free Talk Live with Wayne and Michelle. Hi, Wayne and Michelle. Michelle, you sound sexy. What do you look like? <laughs> I'm a redhead. Oh, she's awesome. Oh. You got to get. You got to check out the webcam, John. <laughs> John, you sound like Indiana Jones or something. I? I mean, oh my gosh, kidnapped, <laughs> <Or something>. tortured. <laughs> that, that's wide open, you know, or something. Well, yes. well, Wayne was saying that he wanted to get on you earlier too. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Hey, yeah. Listen, I'm a straight I've had, male. I've had better offers. I've had better offers. Had... <laughs> That's awesome, John. You know, Go ahead. You know, I don't know if I'm talking over you. Can you hear me okay? Because I, you're, you're a little uh, crackly, but uh, I'm quite a ways away. I mean, right now I'm on the border of Guatemala and Salvador. Wow. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, talk, talking on my, uh, my lawyer's Blackberry, you know. <laughs> they do have Blackberries down here, by the way. That's what I hear. Your, your podcast is pretty fascinating. But, uh, Wait, is this it, the same lawyer that kidnapped you? <laughs> no, no. Different no, that, lawyer. Not. You no, like lawyers. You have, oh, excuse me. I found out you have to have two lawyers in Latin America. <laughs> you have to have one to do your dirty deeds, and he's got to be dirty and easy to find, and one who's on the straight and narrow. You have oh, to have both. Right. It makes a lot of sense. Because otherwise you can't get anything done. You just can't. Yep. So it's like good cop, bad cop kind of thing? Well, you know, it's not really dirty deeds, because when you think about it... You're the one that said dirty deeds. (laughs) There you go, Michelle. According to the law, according to the law, it's a dirty deed. Oh, right. uh, You know, it's it's only spottily enforced, and, you know, it's their version of the law anyway. Their corrupt first world version of, of things, you know? Are you a liberty guy? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, Ron you know, Paul guy. The, I'm a Ron Paul. You know, the very first time I was ever introduced to like libertarianism and uh, you know Frederick Hayek and all them, and uh, was my, my uncle, my my dead uncle, who gave <laughs> me a book called the Duck Book. Remember the Duck Book? I've heard of it, but I've never read it. What's it all about? Uh, well, it's it's, it's like the, a libertarian philosophy, a down home, homesy style, you know, country style. Like li- the, like the little red hen who refused to give anyone any portion of the meal that they'd not participated in making, or is this a different kind of duck book? No, it's kind of like, um, uh, Anne Rand light. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Ayn <laughs> Rand, whatever you want to call it. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, you know, John, there, there's so much to talk with you about, but I know there's a couple preliminary questions we love to ask you. I know I would, and, and Michelle has plenty for you too, because we don't want this to make this a rooster fest here. But um, I, I guess my first question would be, what made you leave the U.S.? Well, you know, the sort of, there's some sort of details there. Uh, <laughs> I got audited three years in a row by the IRS. They reined me a new one, okay? You know, and I had to pay my, my – the thing is they camped out at my office, my business office. Now, uh, after those three years, they told me they were never going to leave me alone, basically, you know, Shag me down and shag me down. 
And at that point, you see... Excuse uh, me, one sec, John. Can you back up for just a minute? Had you gotten audited because you had filed and the IRS claimed that you filed incorrectly? Or had you not filed and and the IRS came to visit? Here's what happened. I, I got divorced, okay? And my it was a very mean divorce. And I had a a, a house in, in Montserrat. You know, you know the island of Montserrat? Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. And got hit by a vol- volcano, took out my house, completely destroyed it. Anyway, uh, I had a bank account there, naturally, because I had a house there. And my ex-wife... Did she get the house uh, in the divorce? That would be great. And then it blows up? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't that lucky. I wasn't that lucky, you know. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Was she in it? But, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now that's well, hard. that's another step so, further. But. You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. But most divorces are bad, you know. It's, Otherwise, she wouldn't be getting divorced, right? Really? I mean, I mean, come on, you know. But anyway, so uh, after that, uh, the IRS just kept on... Uh, I, I, they were looking for bank accounts, you know. Right. And uh, uh they were looking and looking, and I did have a bank account there with, you know, just a few hundred dollars in it. Actually, I did, and I didn't report it or anything, but uh, uh, for a few hundred bucks. But what do you know when you're like, you know, 25 years old, right? 26 years old. What do you know? But uh, the point of it is, is that this wouldn't leave me alone. And, and I was in a business. I have uh, my brother and I and a, a guy from Yugoslavia um, have 13 nano patents, patents on nano motors. We have patents, okay? Can you yeah. hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a, a we had a business. We had thirteen patents, and I cashed out at that point and took a trip around the world. One year. You were in that. That was twenty years. And that was twenty years ago. I never went back. Wow. That's that's the short of it. Okay. That that's that's a good one though. Well, do you take visitors? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, so John. After that one year. Actually, with the bumper. One year. John, we're going to a break. We're going to bring you back. And this is John Mueller of the Expat Files coming back with us on Free Talk Live. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control, where you call in, let us know what's on your mind. The studio number tonight for Sunday night is 603-435-1105. Give us a call, let us know what's on your mind. And tonight with you is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle and I were just talking with John Mueller of the Expat Files podcast, so let's bring him back on. Hi, John, you still there? Yep, there. Hey, well, listen, we were just talking about your, your uh, reason for leaving the U.S., which I thought was a pretty good reason, 20 years ago. And you've been, <laughs> you've, been, you've been knocking around in Latin America ever since, and you've visited many countries, started businesses, built houses, been robbed, John, kidnapped. John, do, do you speak fluent Spanish and Portuguese? No, um, you know, I speak uh, 90%, I would say 90% Spanish fluency, mm-hmm. and I read it 100%. But, um, you know, old dogs, new tricks and all that. I just can't speak it like a native. Uh But enough, really. And Portuguese, just, you know, just enough to get by. Uh Uh-huh. So you can order yourself some food, get a room for the night, and uh, 
And, so I can find, yeah, I can find an emergency room if right. I need one, you know, yeah. and modiums if I need them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, like, like the important things when you're traveling in a, in a third yeah, world right. country. Right. So have you been uh-huh. back to visit in the United States or for 20 years you've just been out of the country? Uh, two weeks in 20 years I was back. Wow. Awesome. Uh-huh. We're, up in, we're up in New Hampshire, as I may have told you in our previous emails. Uh-huh. But we, we're up here in New Hampshire, we're, we take liberty pretty seriously. And a lot of, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to know what liberties you've gained and lost, uh, both economic and financial, from being down in Latin America. Or social well, or, or relationship. I mean, like, what, you yeah. know. And you feel sell, free to make distinctions. Sell me on the idea of leaving the country, please. <laughs> <laughs> sell you on the idea. Well, I can tell you that... Uh, you know, there's some really serious security issues down here. It's just no place to bring up children. I, it's an adult paradise, really. It really is. And I don't recommend anybody moving down here who's, who have children. It's just, just impossible. It's just impossible. Uh, uh, you know, the wealthy people have bodyguards, and the people that don't, they, you know, it's the, the prison is the secure. The home is your prison, you know. I basically. actually, <laughs> I have a story about that. I, um, I lived in San Diego for years, and... Um, and uh, my family was good friends with a, a family from Mexico City. And um, the gentleman's uh, son had been kidnapped. And, and just like, um, gosh, who was it? Uh, the Getty, that Paul Getty, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. His ear, he, um, they asked for $30 million. And, and a little part of the little boy's ear was removed and sent to the dad. And they gave him the money. And they got the little boy back. And they move their family up to uh, the United States. But the thing is, is those people are targeted and, and um, that's kind of par for the course from what I understand. Well, the thing is that uh, people who have money down here, they try to be, they try so hard to copy the first world and what they see on cable TV because they get all the stations down here. They get everything right. that they emulate how first world people lived in their daily lives, and it's impossible to do it down here without being noticed by the criminal element. Sure. Like, you remember those uh, those baby on board things a few years back? Everybody was crazy about those little stickers on the back of your car. Your little family. You remember that? Your dog and your, yep. you know. Do you remember those little plastic yeah. stickers? I sure well, do. Well, you know, you know, everything catches on a few years late down here. So a few years later, everybody who had a little money in a nice car started doing that. And, of course, Everybody that wants to kidnap someone knows how many children you have and how, you know, mm-hmm. how many dogs and everything. Right. It, it's like advertise. It's an advertisement for, for, uh, for criminals, basically. Mm-hmm. But do you think they could get that through their heads until they got, you know, robbed or uh, one of their kids got uh, kidnapped? No. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, just, it's like that. Women walk around with all, you know, the rich ladies will be at the shopping malls loaded down with their jewelry. Just loaded down. And they click clacking heels and they're pretty little dresses uh-huh. and they, they can't run or anything <laughs> if they are accosted, right? No, no. And, and the amazing thing is the farther, <laughs> the farther deep, the deeper you get into it, uh, you find out that, uh, uh, it's just a country of, uh, absolute haves and haves and have nots. The, the middle class is pretty much, it's just not there. Mm. No matter what they tell you up there, the middle class is different from what the middle class is in the rest of the world. So what Their version of middle class. Pardon? So Pardon? what you're saying is that you absolutely love it enough that you've only come back to the United States for two weeks out of 20 years, but that it's dangerous. Don't raise children there. And if you are going to come, buyer beware and, and be prepared to uh, to have a life that is 
filled with liberty, but has to be maintained, guarded, and with diligence and um, wisdom, right? Well, not not if you're not if you're a first world adult. You you, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel in danger at all myself oh, wow. because I know exactly where to go and where not to go. I mean, it's like you know, back in New York or Chicago. Well, I don't know in New Hampshire. <laughs> I think that's a pretty Pretty, uh, pretty much on the list for one of the most safest places in the states, right? It is, unless yeah. Dick Cheney's hunting here, and then everyone <laughs> kind of ducks. Yeah, but but I'll tell you, you just take one wrong turn in Chicago, and you're dead. Mm. You know, so it's the same thing down here, and that's why I always recommend. That's why in my podcast, I uh, I always uh, you know give people a heads up on the places I will never go to, or places that I've been, and you better be there with company. And just for the listeners, again, John's podcast is called The Expat Files. It's on the Progressive Radio Network, and it comes out every Monday and Wednesday, uh, either podcast, and I think it it also streams live uh, on those two nights, too, doesn't it, John? Right, right, at 8 o'clock. It's fascinating. Just fascinating. But getting back to the liberties now, uh, so you're saying in, in some ways you've lost liberties in the sense that in some places it's not as safe, especially if you've got a family, but there's also liberties gained. And why don't you uh, run us through a few of those? Well, well for instance, um, you know, I've always said that in the United States, even if you have your mortgage paid off, you don't own your house. Just don't pay your, your property taxes for about two years and see how fast you, you think you own your house, you know? Yeah. And uh, down here, you know, my house, oh, God, my house down here, it's got, a, let's say, um, a market value in the States. Of course, it's market shot up there, right? And yes. down here, it's... It's getting there. It's really falling apart down here, except for the narcos who have all the money buying up all that stuff. Anyway, uh, let's say you have a, a house that's worth a, a million dollars down here, down here, a million dollars. Mm. You're going to pay about uh, $2,000 a year in taxes. Oh, wow. That's not bad. Now, yeah. Now, I have a house that it's worth about 300000 down here, U.S. dollars, and, and I pay about... Uh, Hundred and sixty-five dollars a year for my taxes. Wow! Now, what would you say is the safest country in all of Latin America? Well, I would Costa have to Rica. say Chile. Oh wow! Oh uh, no, Costa Rica. We have a saying down here about Costa Rica um, that it, well, let's just say you're in Honduras, very close, or Nicaragua. If they if uh, a gang of guys robs you or sequesters you or whatever, usually they'll take your money and shoot you. Okay, in Costa Rica, the same gang will take your money, but they won't shoot you. Mm. <laughs> well, that is safer. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. You know, they're just just as much. They're just a, as many thieves and uh, scoundrels, but they're not that violent. Right. Well, yeah, uh-huh. and violence is, to... violence is a big uh, a big you know distinguished uh, distinction there. You know. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, what about someplace like Argentina uh, going down into South America more? Uh, right. Uh, well, I would, Argentina is, has a uh, in the big cities in Argentina. There's a lot of crimes. It's just uh, it's again where you know the there's the higher air, the, the the high rent areas and the low rent areas and the places that uh, when you look up in the sky and you look at the telephone pole. The, the wires look like a rat's nest, you know? Oh, wow. That everybody's tapping into the free power. You know, there's, <laughs> you know that's another thing. Uh, that's another thing. If you just drive around, you get an idea of uh, how the first world has impacted down here. You see all the McDonald's and the Wendy's. And, and last week I did, I, I did a show about 
the very first Starbucks in Guatemala. I don't know if they ran that show yet, but uh, how I predicted it was going to fail. But hey, John, can we hold busted. you over for another? Sure. We're going to we're going to uh, the other side. <laughs> okay. Hang on. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control and call in and let us know what's on your mind. The number is 603-435-1105. And this evening with you is Wayne. And Michelle. I almost said Michelle is myself. (laughs) I think we're merging, Michelle. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, we've been talking with John Mueller, who's the host of the Expat Files, living in Latin America, and he's been down there for... 20 years now approximately, and he's been in quite a few countries, and his, I find his podcast to be fascinating. It's, it, uh, it's like talking with somebody who, uh, who's been there a long time who, who, where you can really compare your life here to life someplace like that because I think a lot of us at this point have thought about maybe finding another country the way things are going here. But let, let's get John back on again. Hello, John. We're back. Yeah, I'm back. Welcome back hey, with I Wayne just, and Michelle. Free Talk I just Live. wanted to mention... Yeah, I want to mention that I, I said that the, the property taxes were so, so cheap down here, but you absolutely get what you pay for, and which is all right with me because I'm, I'm all for, the, for not having the government do things for me right. and not paying them because it's, I'm just not for that at all. You know, the, the typical libertarian stance there. Mm-hmm. You sure. guys pay maybe, I don't know, my, my mother pays $5,000 a year for her, in her little house for property taxes. Yeah, I I opt to not own a house, or I opt to not even. I just I rent, so I suppose that part of my rent goes to pay someone's property taxes. Sure does. That is how I um opt out of that. But see, I don't actually buy that argument because, for example, if your if your mortgage is two thousand dollars and all you're able to collect in rent is eighteen hundred because it's below market value, um, that eighteen hundred is going to the bank first before it goes to uh, the tax collector. So. Mm Well, here too, most about seventy-five percent of our property taxes that I pay are go to the schools, and of course, and that's a territorial monopoly on education. And you homeschool your kids. So. We do, so I pay, but I pay the, the school taxes anyway. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you know, it's not fun, but it, it, our our town is a little more responsible than most. So you know, uh, my my taxes I think are about twenty-eight hundred on, on my place, which aren't bad for New Hampshire. Some towns up here can be high, some are, are low, and some in between. But but there is no sales tax or um, income tax, which offsets that for a lot of people. Yep. So, John, do you have children yourself, or and you've, no. you're speaking from experience? Okay, no, so you don't have kids. No, but, luckily I don't. You know, and. Just like a like any uh, young kid when I was twenty in my early twenties, all my friends got married and had kids and told me, "Oh, how great it is!" And now they're they're forty something. I say, "Oh God, what'd you do right?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. My kids are my kids are teenagers, so I'm thinking that it's okay. They're yeah. going to be out of the house yeah. soon enough. I'll have a whole life. Yeah, I waited until I was thirty six to get married. So you know, I, I oh, lived wow. I lived a life of traveling, somewhat like John's. Only I did it within the U S. in Hawaii and, and and all that, but. But, John, I must say that a lot of us, uh, with all the things going on in the U.S., have thought about maybe having a plan B, maybe having a place in another country out of the U.S. for a lot of reasons. And and I know that uh, your podcast I found fascinating because it really, for me, it brought home the reality of being in a place other than the U.S., especially in a third world country, and trying to make a life there 
Now, some some of, of what you mentioned about starting a business, I thought was very interesting about how, you know, if you're if you're a gringo and you bring first world standards to a business down there, that you'll do very well because businesses are run so oh, poorly yeah. down there. Once you it, go into it, that it's a little just bit, an amazing. Yeah, it, it's an amazing thing to me how many businesses that gringos and and Europeans start that by all rights should 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 just drop off the face of the map in a few months because they're un, they're, they got the usual problems, the underfunding. You know, that's the number one problem, right? Yeah. Underfunding. You don't have enough capital to carry you like six months or a year or whatever. And banks aren't going to lend you the money. These, yeah, then you cannot, you cannot get a bank loan down here. If you're a foreigner, forget it. You know, you're just not going to get that. And in even a house loan, they won't give you a You got to put, well, what they do is in, for houses, you, you have to put a heavy down payment down. If you can put 30% down on a house, which almost no one can, right? That's a lot of money. Mm. And uh, you can get your lawyer, who is your best friend down here, really. Even if he's which lawyer? The, the, good one. <laughs> the good lawyer, the bad one. <laughs> well, <laughs> which, no, uh, he'll be your good lawyer. He'll be okay. your good lawyer, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the down here, co-signing is everything. Everybody co-signs for everybody. It's, always, it's, it's, like, it's a game, you know. Wow. And uh, same with, same with um, like, if I wanted to get an apartment down here, and uh, uh, sign a contract for a year. I, it doesn't even matter if I give them six months rent money ahead. They'll ask me for a co-signer. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's just the way they do things. And who's going to do that for you? Who's going to who's going to co-sign for you? Your lawyer. Only your lawyer. <laughs> Only your lawyer. Really, that's it. That's it. I mean, how fast are you going to make friends down here? That are gonna, I mean, in the states, try to get somebody to co-sign for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very true. That's asking a lot. That's asking a lot. You know, one yeah. of your one of your episodes, John, you did a little segment on on Latin humor, and and I remember the joke you told about the government officials. And remember the bathroom tissue? Do you remember that one? Ah, which one was it? The bathroom. Yeah, where they were burning the bathroom tissue, the government guys. Remember the oh, yeah. municipal workers. Uh-huh. Just a little background in Latin America. A lot of the country, a lot of the um, uh, most of the countries there, they don't put their toilet tissue in the toilet. They put it in the trash can because the plumbing is so substandard that it'll clog everything up because they use small pipes and there's all sorts of problems. So everyone throws it in, in the trash can. So go ahead, John. Do you remember it? Yeah, the joke was, um, oh, two guys were on latrine duty, military guys down, I think it was, I forgot what country, but uh, maybe let's say Salvador on latrine duty. And uh, uh, it was a hot day. And they were burning the trash or burning the toilet paper, burning it because they're dumping the toilet paper from the trash cans into a ditch and burning it. And a big wind came up and one of the filthiest pieces of toilet paper floated in to the uh, commandant's office. The general was sitting in there and one of them said, who's going to go in there and get it? Oh, we're in trouble now. A piece of bad toilet paper went right through the window. And one of the guys volunteers says, I'll go do it. I'll do it. And he comes walk, comes out with a real sad face. And the, guy says, the other guy says, what happened? He said, he signed it already. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Now, tell me that's not a slice of life, you know. Really? That <laughs> says so much, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It said so much. But that, that's, what your, that's what your podcast is chock full of, my friend. Um, but... <laughs> You know, and the other thing too uh, was was the romance thing. You know how pe- backpackers go down there, and you know from Europe, these tall blondes, good-looking girls, and they don't know what they're in for. I thought that was really uh, informative as well. And and just why is everybody a suave rico? 
Well, go ahead, John. Why don't you tell Michelle what the story is about uh, uh, beautiful well, gringo could girls I, could like I her? Can I go down to Central America and fall in love? Is that what you're telling me? Well, the thing is, this, this fantasy that a lot of people have, at least based on these romance novels and, uh, you know, Fabio-looking guys, right? These <laughs> yeah. uh, Latin, uh, to, what, what Tony Banderas used to look like when he was young, right? Before he had all the uh, Botox and surgery. Yeah, mm-hmm. before his hair started thinning and he skinned out, whatever. Um, this is, I think that every green guy and European girl has at least a kind of a mental fantasy of a Latin lover type. And a lot of girls try to live that out. They come down as lone backpackers or uh, pairs, you know, young mm-hmm. girls in pairs. Not lesbian pairs, that's their too, <laughs> but that's a different story. That's a story. They're, pair, and, uh, it's, they're a pair as opposed to a couple. Yeah, they're they're, they're a little bit rougher around the edges usually, you mm-hmm. know, back to mountain climbers and t- that type. But these girls come down, and I see them all the time. And I and uh, boy, and there's this there's a certain group in every tourist town, especially of young guys, young surfer dude types, mm-hmm. broke to the core, but living off one or two or three of these uh, girls that come down and have these one or two week romances with them, and these girls. They fall in love, you know, for a couple of weeks, and it's a hot thing, and they know that he's never going to go back to the States with them. It's just a little fling. But they fall enough for him and his stories that they actually Western Union money back to him every month. I know some guys that get $100 a month from three or four different girls. (laughs) And and that, that does taper out, you know, after a few months, the money quits coming in. But it's a game for them. It's actually work for them. And it's actually a job. I've been told by guys like that, that's my job, you know? <laughs> right on. These girls are looking, you know? <laughs> and uh, uh, what's, even, what's even funnier is that most of these guys have a wife or some kids in a, like, uh, rundown section of a nearby town that wow. they never, of course, never will tell them about. And they're not supporting them either. That, that's, that's another thing. They, you know, they're on their own. Okay, so you've just you've, you've just gone from describing an entrepreneurial, uh, good-looking stud muffin who trades his wares for some money to a total dirtbag scum bucket who doesn't support his progeny. <laughs> okay, is that true for most? Is that true for most of them, John, or just uh, some of the ones that you've talked with? Well, um, it's only a, it's only in the tourist town. It's only in the the, the surfer kind of uh, beach bum. So kind I of need guy to go find a surfer boy that's not in a tourist town to service you. Hey, John, <laughs> can we bring you back for one more segment? Sure. Okay. Yeah. This is Free Talk Live Sunday Edition. We'll be right back with Johnny Mueller. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call in and let us know what's on your mind. We've got a little panel discussion going here every night. And with you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And we've been talking with a very interesting fellow named John Mueller. He does a podcast called The Expat Files. And he's on the line here. And we've been discussing living in Latin America and his 20 years experience and some of the things that he's done and seen in that time. John, you're back on Free Talk Live with Wayne and Michelle. Yeah, I'm yeah. here. Yes. So we were talking earlier in the previous segment about 
how uh, some of the women from Europe and the United States go down to Latin America and they have these fantasies of meeting a Latin a, lover. A Latin lover. Can I give you a mm-hmm. jumpo? <laughs> uh, I, I, I just what, talking like that, I feel I feel better. Excuse me. Yeah. Okay. You ahead. know what the jackpot is for one of those guys that one of those uh, surfer, you know, those um, all buffed up surfer dudes. The jackpot is to get one of these girls pregnant, and that happens very infrequently. But I've been told many times that you know when that happens, that's that green card right there. There's the green card. Yeah, oh. yeah. And then sometimes the family takes care of the guy too for a while, right? The good and girl's family. What usually happens. These- these guys are absolutely undereducated. They maybe have a you know tenth grade education. These, these uh, surfer guys, and they know that if they get the girl pregnant, and they go back to the states, even to meet the parents, the parents will usually buy them off. They just want to get rid of them, you know. And that happens. Wow. Yeah, you you hear a lot about the opposite happening with with women, but you don't often hear it about men. Right. Right, and that's why you know I don't even touch on that because it really isn't the case that uh, like tourists, uh, young tourist boys, college boys will come down, and uh, they have the fantasy too to hook up with a Latin Salma Hayek or whatever you know they're, <laughs> they're, they have or Shakira or whatever. But the girls are smarter than that down here. They really are because they know the that guys only you... down for a couple of weeks. <laughs> that if you give the milk for free, no one's going to buy the cow. <laughs> well, they don't even want to get involved at all because. It's just a waste of time for them when a guy comes down for two weeks. Uh, and when you hear these stories about uh, these spring break stories where they go to Cancun, they're always hooking up with other spring break people, not not the locals. Right. The locals aren't into that. Yeah. And, and you were, we were discussing during the break about the hippie community down there and how a uh-huh. lot a lot of the, uh, I guess they're the wealthier Latin people, uh, younger kids have become, have these little hippie communities now. Well, what you, what you have, and what most people don't realize, is there's two kind of tourist towns. There's the tourist towns where the first world people come down, uh, in Costa Rica and Panama or Cancun or whatever. And uh, there's also uh, many, many more tourist towns where you almost never see a first world person. It's all for Latins, for wealthier Latins. You know, yeah. you just haven't caught on yet with the first world, I guess. And you'll be in a town like that, and you'll see, it'll be, you would be shocked to see a group of People like dancing with tambourines in a little display selling homemade jewelry oh, with the Rasta hair, barefoot Jesus <laughs> sandals and all that. And you walk up to them and it looks like you're, you know, you're in Haight-Ashbury or something. And these uh, people don't even speak English. They're mostly from uh, Argentina, Chile. Wealth, they're children from wealthy families. They're rebel children, you know, kids that they have that uh, safety net MasterCard from their daddy in the, in the back pocket just in case they get in trouble. And they're dirty as can be, and they're sleeping in the flea bag hotels. They're living the hippie life, you know. They've maybe uh, done a few years of college and decided, you know, they just don't want to conform. Well, is it that they don't? Many of those. Okay, I'm I'm on board with not conforming, but I'm also on board with um, uh, being clean. Yes, hygiene (laughs) and creating wealth. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. that's later like, in life. You know, when you're young, sometimes you go through those stages, and, and probably I would think a lot of them will end up conforming or coming back into the fold at some point. But there's a period of time when it, when it's acceptable. I think in our culture, anyway, I don't know what the Latin culture with with sowing one's oats. 
you know, you you're right. They'll be back. They have to. They, you just can't go on like that forever. And it's something I guess what that um, a lot of us experienced when we went to university or had friends like that who just dropped out for a couple of years and came back. You know, whether they they just roamed the countryside or backpacked through Europe or whatever it was. So but do you, it's a funny thing to see. Do it's you, a funny thing to see because I'm shocked at myself. I, I look and I think, God, you know. That's the that's how the first world had, has permeated the mentality of the of Latin people. I mean, where did they pick that up? Only the only way they could have by watching uh, cable TV and uh, knows, uh, reading books. Yeah, reading books about Jimi Hendrix or Jimmy Morrison. I, or, I don't know. Or, uh, in in Squaw Valley, um, the ski town, we would have um, a lot of kids come up during the winter who had finished their winter in Argentina and they wanted to keep skiing and snowboarding or whatever. And so you'd always get a contingency of Argentinians um, and Chileans uh, every winter come around November and they'd stay at least until, well, they'd the come wealthy and, ones. Those are the very wealthy. Yeah. Intending to stay. Well, they, and they would come and work and, um, and uh, they, they were always, they were clean Oh, like every single one of them was good looking. It was incredible. The the men and the women, they're all, I mean, they were all beautiful. And um, in fact, my, my son was, uh, they were talking, I have two boys that are 15 and 17. They were talking the other day about a babysitter that they had back in the day. And my youngest one, Faisal was, oh, I guess he was like eight or six or eight at the time. And um, he had a crush on this one girl in particular and uh, she, blonde hair, blue eyed, beautiful girl. And, um, and they, the boys were asking me the other day, they were like, was she really as pretty as we thought she was? Like, was she hot? Because it, it's, at six and eight, they weren't thinking in those terms, you know? And, um, and yes, in fact. And so I thought that they wanted to have the conversation go in the direction of, of how cute Argentinian girls were. No, they steered it to the direction of food and, and how much things cost. And the older son says, do you know that I asked her how much a steak cost in Argentina? And she said, like two bucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, John, a few weeks ago, Ian and I were talking about Cuba on the Wednesday night show and some of the uh-huh. entrepreneurial initiatives they're doing down there now. And you had a pretty in- interesting insight about that one. Could you uh, share that with us? Oh, yeah. I've, I've been to Cuba a few times. And, uh, uh, you know, you can go there from down here. It's just, you just hop on a plane. There's no problem. But, uh, um as far as uh, uh, you know, you're talking about a small, the small business ideas or the you know, the bigger hotel complex and stuff. Are you referring to like small business? Scale? Yeah, the small business initiative that they seem to be doing now down there. And yeah, what they're yeah, doing is yeah, well, it's costing them so much money down there to support that society, and and they don't have a lot of income. They have they're looking, you know, they don't have a lot of dollar income, or and they have oil. You know, Cuba does have oil. But they export most of it, and therefore you only get a, a gallon or two a week, or I mean, I'm sorry, a month on your ration, and only if you have a car. But uh, um, if they decided, or at least some somebody with a heavy economics background in Cuba has decided the best way to get these people um, off the government rolls is to have them start their own small businesses. Little tiny, you know, kiosks and hot dog stands or whatever, you know, you you name it, selling little, who knows, uh, souvenirs. With, with a limit, they know that. Oh, yeah, go say with a limit of three employees, was it? Yeah, yeah, right. Only with right. That's the limit because they they're very smart about this. And whoever thought of it, you got to give them credit. They realized 
that every, almost every family in Cuba, at least every extended family, has someone in the United States that sends them money and stuff once in a while, or books, or, or maybe not books, but, but they send them some, you know, they, they transfer money to Western Union or whatever. They're called remisas. And that keeps people going because they're only making like $25 a month. That's their salary, right? 20 to $25. And nobody can live on that. So they all have some way of making money. And most of it is through a family member or two somewhere in, in Miami or New York that's been there a long time. And they're, they're used to sending a, you know, a few hundred dollars a month or maybe even $50 a month. They realize if uh, the, goal, the goal of everybody is to have their own little business. Even the Cubans, after all, that, all those years of socialism and communism, their version of it, they, they all still want to have a little business, something they can run you know, on their own. And guess what? Guess who's going to finance that business? Their relative in the United States. That's right. What better deal? I mean, what better deal is that? Don't send on fifty dollars so we can buy rice this month and we can buy a couple more gallons of <laughs> yeah, gasoline. John, can we bring it back we'll one more it. time? Can we bring yeah, it back one sure. more time? Uh huh. Okay. Sure. Hang on. This has been Free Talk Live Sunday edition. We'll we'll see you in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you take control and you call in and let us know what's on your mind. The studio number for the Sunday night show is 603-435-1105. Make sure that you know what your calling plan is on your cell phone or whatever phone you choose to call in because it's not a toll-free number and you might incur excessive charges by your phone provider if you're not careful. So know that. You're so thoughtful. Well, I try to be, Michelle. Mm -hmm. And this is and, and tonight with you is Michelle and Wayne, and we've been talking with John Mueller of the Expat Files podcast, and who has some very funny stories about his uh, adventures over the last twenty years in South America while he's been living uh, outside of the country. That's right, John. Are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. Yeah. So, so anyway, we were we were talking about. A lot of different aspects of being in, in Latin America, but we were we got into Cuba a little bit because I was really curious about having you share this with with the audience. I want to make sure we get some of the stuff in. And you were saying how uh, the government of Cuba, as as some of us have read, has been initiating um, these programs to encourage people to start small businesses with a maximum of three employees. And one of the motivations behind it, which a lot of Americans don't know, is that a lot of the people down in Cuba receive remisas or, or regular payments from family members who live in the United States and who have jobs up here and can spare some extra money to help their family out. So they're counting on that to, as seed money to start these small businesses, to get people going, get the real economy going, so the government's not paying for everybody. Correct, John? And you know, um, yeah, and, and the, the funny thing is, is that most of the people in Cuba that I've talked to about this, they... They knew this was going to happen. They knew it. They just knew it couldn't last. They, that uh, uh, they're, they're watching their friends getting into tourism because tourism is, is what everybody wants to get into. You know, uh, in fact, uh, there was a, my, a cab driver at the airport. The guy's got these uh, neurology books on his uh, on his uh, front uh, seat. He's studying neurology. He's a neurologist, and he's he is a, a, working in the hospital by day, and at night he's driving a cab mm. because. He makes more in his tips than he makes all month as a neurologist. 
as a neurologist in a nationalized uh, hospital. National hospital. Yeah, well, in a no, communist country. Right. Yeah, in a communist uh-huh. country, everybody makes no, the same have. amount of money. Right. And, right. And his, and his wife is a tour guide, and she makes more in tips than he does. So, so, so the taxi... Everybody wants to get in tourism. So within tourism, and you be, can actually get paid the market value as opposed to as a doctor in a hospital, you're getting paid the, um, the minimal standard that is issued right. by the government. Well, there I mean, you go. Really, Free market vacation, works. <laughs> right. And if you're on vacation, you know, uh, in Europe, you tip heavy because you have to. You know, you, it's a heavy. It, to go to Europe is expensive. But if you drop $5 in Cuba, it's almost nothing to a, a person who's traveling on a vacation to drop $5 as a tip. Right? Really. $5. Mm-hmm. What's that to an American on a, on a nice vacation? To them, a week's one salary. Week salary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> think about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, the people that I've talked to about the small business thing—they already have—they've they've been planning this for uh, for years. Not the government, but these people have had it in their mind that there's going to be a change. The rumor mill is heavy, you know. And uh, they've all prepared their relatives up in the states, and their relatives are all in agreement on that. They'd rather send two thousand dollars, which is plenty, to start a tiny little kiosk, a hot dog stand, or Tourist, um, who knows, and a, and a, whatever. Two thousand dollars goes a long way in Cuba, believe me. <laughs> and they'd much rather send two thousand dollars down than a hundred dollars a month, you know, for twenty months that only goes to buying rice and beans or whatever. Yeah. They really want to see, you know, they really want to see these guys uh, expand their 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 base down there and and uh, have something for themselves. Now, you had also mentioned that there's also a corporate aspect or a big business kind of tourism aspect to the business initiatives down in Cuba. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah well, I have some direct experience with that. A friend of mine owns a hotel in Costa Rica. And uh, there's more than once I went down on a kind of a fact-finding tour. And uh, he's going to open a hotel in, in Cuba. And the, the setup was this. The setup is that uh, once you've selected your land or the place you want to be or your building or you give uh, uh, the head of the the, uh, the tourism board down there your your specifications of what kind of building you're going to do and what kind of uh, business you're going to have in tourism, let's say it's a hotel, they'll actually find you a building that may not have the same use. Maybe, maybe you know, uh, rolling cigars in that building or, or repairing trucks. They'll take that building and give it a better use. You'll you'll do a, you'll be making more money for the Cuban government and employing more people. They'll just take and they'll take a building right over, and then that's your building, and they'll remodel it for you. But uh, you only get, I believe, like a hundred-year lease or a fifty-year lease on it. Which, so, like, which who cares? Because let's face it, what's going to happen to the Castro brothers even in three years or five years? That's true. Are they going to be around? Are they going to be around? Anyway, they supply the labor. The deal is that. Uh, you know, let's say you have a hotel and you need 50 people with restaurant and all that, and they pay the salaries too. The Cuban government pays that 20 bucks a month to them. Mm. It's a very strange deal. You don't have anything, you have to have anything to do with the employees at all. It's like you have two separate things going. The government's running all the, you know, the manpower, and you are running the operation. Mm. Very strange. Yeah, that I don't is even strange. Know how, yeah, and I'm not so, sure uh, how I feel they, about that. And Americans really can't go to Cuba right now as tourists, according not to the directly. State Department. Not directly, not directly, right? But but uh, Europeans can, correct? Right, right. Everyone fact, can, except there, for United States uh, passport carrying 
citizens. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Home of the free. <laughs> and the yeah, home of the brave. Right. And when I went there, they uh, they don't, when they see your American passport, they, uh, they're, they're clever enough not to stamp it because they know that you'll never come back because you'll get hassled when you come back into, to Miami or wherever. Right. If you're, wherever whenever you land back in the States, you're just, that stamps on your passport, you know? I'm dying to go to I'm here. dying to go to Cuba. That's one place that I'd really I, I'll go within the next couple of years, definitely. Yeah, I, I have yeah. A, I have a fantasy of traveling in Latin America someday, and that, I think maybe that's what drew me to the show a little bit. But you know, some of the things that you've covered on that show, on your show, John, you just don't see in in, in travel brochures, and you don't hear about. It, when you know, pe- you're so right, and you. Know, I'm kind of mad about that because. You know, there are these uh, leisure and travel magazines and these websites for, you know, tra- um, you know, expats abroad or whatever. There's so many of them, right? And they're, they're telling you all these nice little tourist bits and you know, sound bites, basically, and little art- happy articles about my stay on the beach in the hotel. And, you know, they're not telling it like it is. They it's called aren't. marketing, baby. <laughs> yeah. But at the same I mean, time... Even the, even, even it appears like the letters to the editor are kind of uh, phony sometimes, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, well, you know, at like the same time. Like someone goes to Barbados or, or, uh, or Belize or something, and, you know, it just it doesn't ring true to me sometimes because they just haven't been the places I've been. I, or, I don't know, maybe you go down for two weeks and you have a completely different view of it. I don't know. Well, John, you've been so awesome to come on the show with us and, and talk about your experiences, and I hope we can have you on again soon. Because, uh, sure, that would be great. because, you know, uh, there's so much to talk about in, in so little time. But, but uh, it's been John Mueller of the Expat Files on the Progressive Radio Network. Check out his podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it. And we'll be right back. Good night, John. Okay. Good night, John. Good night. Thanks. See ya. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you call in and take control. The number here is 603-435-1105. Tonight with you is Wayne. And Michelle. And we've been talking with John Mueller of the Expat Files podcast, and he's had uh, a lot of fun with us tonight. And Michelle, we've uh, we've enjoyed his company. And, and you know, he has a girlfriend, Michelle, but um, <laughs> but he was very flattered that you would... Be interested or, or ask about them. No, there's difference between being interested and having a flirtation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I like to flirt. Men, women, I flirt with all of them. And um, I'm actually, I'm actually in a in a bit of a contest with myself to see whether or not I can mention my dating uh, uh, situation or lack thereof on every single show I'm on. And so far, I'm batting a hundred. <laughs> that's a thousand. You mean a thousand? Yeah. A thousand. <laughs> I thought you might appreciate that, Mr. Baseball. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. just missed by one decimal point. It's not bad. <laughs> it's just a zero. It is. But, you know, that's true. And then what you get the guys feeling sorry for you and they call in more to flirt with you. Is that it? <laughs> well, you make it. Well, 
I said, or or the lack thereof. Maybe I'm I'm bragging about dating all the time. How do you know? Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, dating dating was fun. I did I did my share of it when I was single, and it was it was both fun and it was lonely at the same time, because you know you know you go out with different people, you have fun, you have laughs, but. If you're dating several people, which I did, I had four dates in one day, one Sunday, I remember when I lived in L.A., but it was just, uh, there was a lunch or breakfast date, a lunch date, an afternoon hiking date, then a dinner date that, that night, and they were all fun, but nothing was serious, and, and I didn't get intimate with It helps with any if they have the same name. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That was, yeah. th- that was challenging, but uh-huh. I, I think I came through that okay. Yeah. No, and, and someone like John Mueller, I mean, he's a little geographically undesirable for me, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, but if you saw you on the webcam, I think he'd fly up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Wayne. Yeah, well, you know, you got to build up your co-hosts. Yeah, well, and, you know. So, but that, you have to be sincere. Either that or have like a, a Skype romance, you know, where yeah, everything... That, that would be a little, that would miss a few Kinky. dimensions. Yeah, I guess it could be, but it would it'd be missing a few dimensions, you know. Well, it wouldn't have to, have to you know, be broken up with some actual physical contact and... and um... With yourself? <laughs> oh, gosh. Whoa. This yeah. is going to go down really fast. And we won't let it happen, will we? No. But we got to keep it up. We can kid. We can kid around. But no, I think that there, there's a lot of fascinating things about... about uh, John's life and some of the things he's talked about. And, you know, one thing he, he talked about on one, on one of his shows was about how if you're a male, let's say that you're on, on the scale of, of one to 10, you're about a six. You know, maybe you're bald. What are you? I don't care. I mean, just, no, 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 for the basis of this, uh, of this, um, you know, scale, I need to know. What, what I are, consider myself? Sure. You know, Michelle, I honestly don't know. Okay, I, then what it's would not, it, it's you, not up to me six? to decide. Are you a six or no? Well, whatever I am, it doesn't matter. Let's just say that you're a six. I'm you, not a male. Okay, I, I, right. I'm saying uh, <laughs> as a male, uh, on a scale of one to ten, let's just say you're a six. As soon as you get off a plane in like Panama City or something, uh-huh. you go up three points, according to John. Oh, really? Yeah. All right on for be- the guys, because, huh? Because the, the men from America tend to be or they're perceived as being like they are in the movies and in the soap operas as being sensitive and, and more loyal and, and more responsible. And more, and gay. Well, some, but, but I mean, but, but, the, <laughs> I mean, but some of the women down there, the women sweet, down there, like if you're, gentle. if you're an expat, not, not a tourist now, but an expat uh-huh. like John and you're down there and you're living down there and you're single you know, you're very desirable because a lot of the Latin women want to marry or be with a guy like you because I guess that they feel that their they men are... don't want to be with the one that's like, yo, and smacking them upside the head and everything. Well, I'm sure that goes on. And, and, and American <laughs> men, even though there's a lot who do it, there's American men are known Wait, not I'm, to be so much Wait, like I'm that. trying to get you to lighten up a little bit. Like, joke with me here a little bit. It's Sunday. It's a day of rest. <laughs> it it's is. okay. Are there, any, are there any Catholic holidays today? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it? April 3rd? Uh, it's the third? Yeah, it's the third of mm-hmm. April. Can you believe it? Yeah, but twelve more days ugh. until all those suckers go and sign away their lives to the IRS and say, "I'm a slave." That's essentially what they do. I'm one of them. Oh, honey, really? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm one of them. But you know, I. I. I you know, I have a business, and 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 I don't. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm making a million dollars. I I make enough to pay the bills, and and I just I, I don't really. Well, I, yeah, I don't see and then the, from January the until May, you work to pay the United States government 
Yeah, in, you're in, right. I in do. In advance of any money that you get for yourself, I think that that's really. Sad. Listen, I, I I'm strongly believe in ending that whole system and working towards that. Uh, some people are willing to take the risk, and some aren't. And because obviously the pioneers get shot in the back, and that's happened over time. But I think that we're at a point now where we're we're really on the cusp of a lot of change because you can see how the establishment is really starting to attack. And when they do that, it's just like what Gandhi said. At first, they, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Well, they're pretty much in the they, they fight you stage right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, no, I refuse to be scared. There are 60 million people who do not file a yeah. year in this country alone that they, that they record. And yes, that's great that Obama has, has authorized the, uh, the uh, 5,000 new IRS agents to be, to be hired to investigate those non-filers who are, you know, criminals because we and I'm one of them refuse to to, you know, be a slave. And um, so great. So so how many agents is it going to take to come after all those people that don't pay? And and, um, you know, they make an example of a few. They make and, it exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you could be one of them or maybe not. But, but look it, at how it, Wesley Snipes and, um, you know, our own Jack Shimmick and, and uh, other people have Willie Nelson, you know. Uh, Who've had a lot to lose. Uh, yes. So they've gone in and, and been arrested and, and been convicted and gone to prison and they come out and continue to do the same thing, you know, and... Um, so I would like to see people who are actually, I mean, if you're not, if you don't mind being a slave, then do nothing. But if you refuse to be a slave and if you claim to, that you're a free, free person, then I would like to see everyone do something, even if it's just a small step, you know, like file an extension. <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. I've done that before. Put it off and, um, you know, make it more difficult. The, uh, also, the chances, supposedly, this is not legal advice, um, uh, that you get audited uh, decreases uh, if you file an extension. I don't really know the, what the connection is there. It's just something I've heard. But, um, yeah, I, I encourage people to live like free men and women as opposed to indentured servants. Yeah, I know, Michelle, and you, you take, you're one of the people who takes a courageous stand on it and uh, I, I'm always, I'm one who takes my stands and and I but I also pick my hills to I pick my battles in life. Right. Just like when you have a spouse, you know, you uh, your yeah, spouse. I tried that. Well, yeah. I wasn't very good at well, it, honey. You're right, <laughs> and, and I've gotten better at it over 17 years. I've been. You're with, saying I'm right. I wasn't very good at it. So no, you know no. my ex-husbands. And- <laughs> no, no, I don't know your ex-husbands, but I know that you've tried, and obviously you're not married now. So that would tell me that you've tried and you decided it wasn't for you. And the you. guys weren't any good at it. <laughs> And the guys weren't any good at it. Yeah. But, but you know, when you're married, for example, and, and in a way, you know, we have a relationship with the federal government. And, you know, no. the, the, your, your spouse no, sometimes... but by force. The one with your spouse is voluntary. No, it isn't. Oh, my God. No way. You're not married to your wife? No, no. I was, I was sold into male white slavery. <laughs> Does she Her know? Her daddy had a lot of money. And <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to tell her no, you said No, I'm kidding this. you. I'm it's kidding awful. you. But no, I've been with her for 17 years. And, you know, thing, the road smoothens out over time when you learn how to pick your battles. Because there's a lot of things that really tick you off about your spouse after a while. You know, the little things after they do. After a while? The, I mean... Yeah, I spe- well, after the honeymoon. I'm not even married to you and you irritate me. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah.
Well, thank you, Michelle, I'm for kidding. sharing. I'm kidding. Well, if you weren't kidding, then you're refreshingly honest. <laughs> we'll be right back. Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. Wayne and Michelle, stay with us. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where we have a lot of fun and we talk with you on the phone. The number is 603-435-1105. Let us know what's on your mind. We had a guest on earlier, so we weren't taking any listener calls, but now the lines are open. And with you this evening is Wayne. And we, whoops, how is that? Go try it again, Michelle. Oh, why did I, was my microphone not on? Your microphone was off. I hit the button, but I didn't hit it hard enough. <laughs> what a man you are. Well, Just I, like but that. I really, gonna... <laughs> I really jack it the second time. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to keep you quiet and have you sitting over there doing exactly what I want you to do. Hey, but the phones came out pretty good this week, didn't they? <laughs> nice. So call in so I can, I can uh, show you my prowess on the, on the phone board now <laughs> without leaving People on dial tones and stuff. Like, <laughs> or hanging up on them. Or hanging up on nice. them. Yeah. So we got the board down. Finally, I, I'm hoping. I should. I, maybe I'm speaking too soon. But And speak for yourself. I don't play with the board. No, you don't. No. You don't. So it's not a we. It's me. Yeah. It's, it's me all... <laughs> playing with the board. But that's okay. Michelle, you've been a very helpful, though. I'm very yeah. uh, encouraging about you pl- it. You play with yourself. I play with all the little I buttons mean, here. And yeah. I push my own buttons, but not yours. I don't <laughs> that's think. That's right. I don't think. But, you know... We, Michelle and I were talking a little bit previously in, in the previous segment about dating and and of course now my being married, my life has changed a lot having kids. and You date the same person all the time. I date the same person, mm-hmm. but yeah, we're, we're so busy that we don't really, unfortunately right now we don't do a lot of dating. I wish we, we would, but... Yeah, we, yeah, that's a mistake. I know, it is, but it's difficult. She's a very, very devoted mom and... You know, and the kids come first, and I understand that. No, 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 that's not okay. Well, I know. I know people say that, but, you know, you're right. But she, she's very protective, and she uh, spends a lot of time with the kids, and I do too. We have, we have a great time. Your son's, what, 15? He's 15 now. And your daughter's 13? Uh, 11 going on 12. Okay, so great. So they can babysit each other. I mean, they're, themselves. Yeah. They're just at that point now. Yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, see, I left my kids when they were really young. Mm-hmm. I figured as long as there was a window, you know, when they were like 6, 8, and 10, um, between, you know, that and my daughter was 12 and like, you know, 8, 10 and 12. So there was, um, there were like two and a half years there when they were, you know, before they were all teenagers that I was actually, I could have left for two weeks and my kids would have been fine on their own. It was when they became teenagers and when I had three teenagers in the house, that's when I really needed a babysitter for them, mm-hmm. you know? And now at this point, they're 15, 17, 19, one's off in college and the, and the two boys, I leave them by themselves all the time. And it's like, well, if you want to get into trouble, there's trouble right out, you know, right at your feet anytime you want it. And um, if that's what you want to do, go for it. I'm not going to bail you out of jail. Well, you know, up until my mid thirties, I was a traveler and an and, and adventurer. And I liked going and seeing different places. And I liked, I liked going on vacation and, and uh, I liked rich cultural experiences. So being As able... opposed to poor cultural experiences? Well, when I say rich, you know what I mean? I mean, just <laughs> Just experiencing uh, you know, life from another person's point of view. 
Mm-hmm. I, I was I was a Buddhist for a while. Being a traveler as opposed uh, to being a vacationer. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Spending time in different places and then, you know, moving on at some point. But t- taking it all in and and sitting on a park bench and watching all the different little characters run around and interact and you know I love, and you thought that was fun I'm sitting a, on a park bench. Pe- people watching to me is just <laughs> rich. It's, it's, I sometimes I feel like the richest man in the world. Just, do you do you make up stories like when you and your wife are out to dinner or something? Do you ever make up stories about you know what other people might be talking about? You mean at the other tables? Yeah. Sometimes we we actually we start making up stuff uh, as we look over at other people. Yeah, uh-huh. like that improv uh, exercise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> but you know, right now I'm at a point in my life where I'm I'm a little more grounded than I've ever been. Boring. And boring, yeah. yeah. So that's why I do this show, so I can be a little less boring. But, you know, eventually we'll get back to traveling and, and uh, adventuring again. And uh, as long as you have your health, you can, always, you can do just about anything in life, no matter how old you are. I get bored very easily and very quickly. And Yeah, and boredom for me is, is disastrous. Yeah. Yes, we don't want me to be bored or hungry. <laughs> sure. If I, as, long as, I, as, as long as I'm well fed and... Um, I'm able to be entertained, and I, I'm very good at entertaining myself. It's not like I need someone to entertain me, but um, I tell I myself jokes and then laugh at them. It's great. Oh. Make up songs and sing to myself in the mirror. A little bipolar, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I talk to myself all the time. No, qua- and myself uh, answers back. <laughs> yeah, roses are red, violets are blue. I'm a schizophrenic, and so am I. <laughs> but anyway, Michelle, getting onto some some more. Uh, Substantial yes, uh, subjects here. I thought you might be interested that there was a story that came out today uh, about Rand Paul. And he, he says uh, basically that uh, he, Rand Paul doesn't think that his dad would get the snub this time if he runs for president. What do you think about that? Hmm. Well, you know, I campaigned for, uh, for Ron Paul very actively in, let's see, five, four or five different states. And, um, but I didn't vote. <laughs> um, I don't vote. And, um, and, uh, that's my, based on my, you know, personal belief system. However, I did donate, I don't know, $5,000 or something to his, to his, um, campaign. And I went to a couple lunches and a dinner and things like that. And, and was gung ho on getting him money and getting out signs and did caravans and organized straw polls and, and everything. And, and that was great. The reason why I did that was not to get Ron Paul elected, but rather to get that message that he was, um, two messages primarily, one, to end the war, wars, bring troops home, get our bases out of other countries. That was uh, very important. Our bases? What, for, that's what he was saying. Right. Yes. And so Their he was bases. speaking on, he was, the United States bases that are on other countries. Yes. But, there you um, go. So the, uh, the, there was that. And then the, uh, sound money and, and sound economic principles. Mm-hmm. So really there wasn't any, there hasn't been anyone else talking about that. And so for me, I wasn't trying to get an, uh, someone elected as much as I was trying to buy him airtime to get the message out. And, and it was very successful because the Ron Paul revolution, so to speak, has gone on since the election. It didn't end after the election because it was truly organic from the ground up, and it's actually been growing since the last election. Yeah, did you hear Hillary Clinton actually on um, on one of the congressional panels uh, actually give him kudos and say, you know, I don't know what you did to get the kind of grassroots uh, uh, 
activism going that you got going. How about telling the truth, Hillary? (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Yeah. How about not talking out of both sides of your mouth all the time? How about that, Hillary? How about just having principles in the first place, you know? And I like Dennis Kucinich also, and he's a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that I I don't, although I don't agree with some of his socialism um, stands, positions, but... But he's anti-war. He is. And and he shoots from the hip. I mean, yeah, he believes in that, but I give him credit. He's The only thing that that really I lost a little respect for him for was when Obama took him on that plane ride on Air Force One and twisted his arm into voting for the health care bill. Yeah. That that kind of ticked me off a little bit, but otherwise, I I think out of all the Democrats, he's in the past he's been probably the most principled one. Mm-hmm. With that gaff aside, mm-hmm. yeah, and he's well. He, gosh, if anyone were to look under, you know, at my life under a mi- uh, microscope, I'm sure they'd find inconsistencies and in, in, compromises, you know, compromises or something like that. But when looked at as a as a whole, I think that I am a very principled person and and. Um, you know, so so I don't. I actually don't know of, of this gaff that you're talking about. I don't follow bills and what gets passed and what doesn't. The only one that I actually, um, really went hardcore for was um, what was it? HR fourteen oh seven. Wasn't that the one that was the audit the Federal Reserve, the tra- uh, the Transparency Act that yeah. was written, yep. co-authored by Ron Paul? It was the most signed bill. Ever. Yeah. And yeah. A lot of Democrats, uh, including Alan Grayson from Florida, mm-hmm. quite a few. And even uh, the socialist up in Vermont there, uh, Bernie Sanders. Yes. In the Senate, uh, co-sponsored or sponsored a bill very similar. Yeah. The but then it got watered co- down. co-signed bill, though, of all time, and yet it still can't get to the floor. Right. So I just, I don't believe in the system. People say, well, you know, it's a good, it's the best system there is. The system's broken. Oh, very, if, if you're telling shattered. me that a broken system is the best uh, system possible, then you know what? As long as I can opt out of your system, I'm fine. Yeah. You go down with the ship. I'm going to jump and swim for sure. Go to Latin America. <laughs> exactly. You know, as long as I can opt out of the system, I'm fine with there being systems. And there, there's always going to be systems, even when the United States was that, that city on the hill. You know, and people would try to come here from all over the world. You know, it wasn't perfect, but there were other systems around the world that were imperfect that were ex- in existence. And I don't think we'll ever get away from that. But I like self-government. Yes. Leave me alone. Yes. <laughs> Let me do my thing. And don't do for me what I can do for myself. Mm. This Amen. is the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. <laughs> and we'll be back. Welcome to the third and final hour of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control. If you like, give us a call. 603-435-1105 is the number. And that's the Sunday night edition number because we want to make sure that you call us and not get charged. So make sure that your phone plan, whether it's a cell phone or your home phone, has the proper coverage so that you're not charged excessive charges from being on the phone with us because we'd feel terrible about that right michelle no no 
I mean, you know, people don't know what their phone plan is, then, oh, well. You see, for me, it must be Catholic guilt, you know? Yeah, I mean, get The Jewish friends of mine, you know, they had their mother <laughs> did the Jewish guilt. Well, I had the Catholic guilt. So, so you just worry about everyone all the time. Yeah, I'm just really concerned about other people, and I just want to make sure nobody suffers. And that's why I'm a libertarian, because oh. I, I don't want people to suffer. I hate to see suffering in the world, Michelle. And so your solution to ending the suffering is everyone converting to libertarianism? Well, people interacting in a voluntary, consensual yes. manner, just like the difference, for example, between making love and rape. You know, we, we're, we're coerced into this relationship with the federal government, state and local governments at times that is coercive and it's, it's, um, it's dehumanizing, it's disempowering. I'm actually and, really happy to hear you use that as an analogy because I've used it before and, and people get really offended. But I actually think that there's... Um, it's analogous uh, to being raped. You know, the idea that, that you're forced against your will to, to do anything is um, just absurd. And the fact that you're forced against your will to pay for abortions, tax, uh, wars, um, more wars. Corruption, graft. <laughs> more wars. <laughs> the, the drug wars. The, the, wars the, the wars are the most expensive, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, not just in terms of, of economics, but human, you know, the collateral damage and, hmm. and uh, human lives, most importantly. Yeah. And from a macroeconomic point of view, you hear people say, well, a war is good for the economy. Well, actually, it's not. That's, that's called the broken window fallacy. Fallacy, correct. And no wealth is being created in a war. Let's You're- explain what that is, because a lot of people, you know, oftentimes we toss out, you know, things. And, and I'm not sure, or I'm not convinced that people, maybe even on Sunday night, might know what we're talking about. So do you want to explain what the broken window fallacy is? Yes. It, the example is given that you're in a little town and let's say there's a shopkeeper who's got a beautiful display window and some boy comes by and throws a rock through the window and breaks the window. Well, of course, uh, this shopkeeper probably has insurance. And- and, well, Keynesians would argue that that creates jobs because the uh, shopkeeper then has to employ someone to Replace take the his glass window. And a handyman to put it in. And so, you know, through this like trickle down idea of that, you know, creating more jobs, that there's actually been wealth that's created, but that's a zero sum gain. There's nothing has been gained. Actually, something's been lost right. because you're just replacing capital, what's been destroyed. Right. And, yeah. and the capital that would have gone into maybe um, expanding the store or, you know, improving the quality products in there or um, even increasing the wages of of the people that actually are working in the store and, and the valuable employees who he right. might lose to some uh, other business if he doesn't maybe raise, give him a little bit of a raise so you're right michelle and so no net wealth has been created in that situation and it's the same thing in war is that you know yes you're creating jobs designing and building bombs and airplanes and aircraft carriers and guns and you know every, everything it makes the military industrial complex wealthier yes it makes the people working in that very wealthy but it, it doesn't really create wealth. It destroys wealth. Because then on top of that, after you blow up these countries and bomb them into submission, then, of course, then the taxpayer pays to rebuild them mm-hmm. after all that, all, all that. And, of course, then all of the – what about all the servicemen who come home injured and have medical care costs the rest of their lives? Or they're, or they're, or they're dead and they, they, they have to pay death benefits to their families. Mm-hmm. And the, the expenses never, never end and, until, until everybody's gone. So this this system that we're in right now is so unsustainable, so corrupt that that the only thing that can really happen over time is eventually it's going to collapse. 
just it's gotten too complex and in the history of complex societies is they always collapse at some point and become simple again just like you know what we're talking about is actually this the simplicity it's going back to the simplicity of of society not to not to be confused with uh, a desire to go back to an agrarian society right you don't necessarily have to be an agrarian society but you just want to get back to the the, the basic core values and, and the, the things that made us successful to begin with which we've strayed far far from in the last Who's 50 we? years we as the United States, much of the world <laughs> I mean, has. you were busting me for that. <laughs> well, you know, you're, but you're right, Michelle. It, it leaks out in language because that's how we've been trained. And mm-hmm. so the words you use um, really determine or show uh, how you think or, or how you've been trained to think. Mm-hmm. So we're all trying to do that. Just like we're recovering yuppies too, right? I was, I was never a yuppie. No, I was. No, really? Yeah, so my brother still is. Oh, okay. What what is a yuppie to you? Well, uh, a yuppie is is a. I guess they used to uh, call it, or, or it used to stand for a young, up um, upscale urban professional, or something like that. And you know, people who have to have you know. See, that nice was the thing. Is I've always been an amateur. You've always been an amateur. Yeah, I've never been a professional anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess I that was why I was able to escape the uh, stigma of being a yuppie. But didn't you kind of live the the upper middle class lifestyle for a while? Uh, I had a very nice lifestyle. Yeah. So th- that's I still what... enjoy a really nice lifestyle compared to <laughs> most people in yeah, the world. Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, but, um, but uh, yeah, I had some high flutin' times and everything, but, um, but I always considered yuppies to be more like the people who, who created a lifestyle for themselves and had to work in order to afford the lifestyle. I've never had that sort of mentality. I always have lived within my means. So, you know, I think that what happened to the yuppies is in order to sustain their lifestyle, most of them uh, started borrowing as the, as the uh, economy started to decline. And so they increased their credit debt, you know, astronomically. Well, actually, that's an important distinction, too. The, the, the economy started to decline, the underlying economy, but the overlying economy still looked good because it was all based on borrowed money. Mm-hmm. So people thought the economy was great when it really wasn't. Yes, because Home Depot sales were still, you know, mm-hmm. off the charts and and new home starts were still were still going on because people were borrowing capital, which th- th- that's the thing is borrowing capital. No, capital is savings. Yes, it is. You don't just <laughs> you don't just create it out of thin air because Right. Then- if you borrow it then that's not capital. That's debt. Yeah. There's that's right. Huge difference between debt and capital. And so, looking cool for your friends and neighbors on borrowed money, really, in the long run, is just going to leave you in the poorhouse. You're not going to look so cool when your house gets foreclosed on. You're living somewhere else that's not so pleasant, and sometimes uh, under uh, short notice of the sheriff's department. Most people actually um, in in uh, in Nashville when I lived there, uh, all the kids on my son's hockey team they thought I was a hippie. Really, why? Isn't that funny? Because of, of the wild clothes you wear? Well, I kind of dress differently all the time. I yeah. call them costumes, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. But no, they actually never saw me in any of my, my costumes. But um, uh, no, because I don't pay taxes, because I smoke weed, because I um, uh, let my kids drive vehicles without driver's licenses. <laughs> <laughs> No. Wow. Um, right, but but then I thought it. But their parents though tried to to clarify that no, in fact I was no hippie. That the standard that I had 
for my kids getting a license was so much higher than anything that they were held to that they wouldn't have ever even been able to get a license under under my house, you know, hold rules. Um, my kids have to drive 10,000 miles before they can get a license. And at the point when they get a license, then they are, you know, free to drive and do whatever they want. But by the time they've driven 10,000 miles, they've, you know, driven on ice in rain and sleet and terrible weather conditions and know how to change a tire and, and, uh, what to do if the brakes fail and how to start, you know, a vehicle without, uh, well, I would not, I would never teach my kids how to start a vehicle without keys. Now that would be terrible. Why would I need to do that? <laughs> but you know what I mean? But you know, if you have a standard transmission, for example, there's a technique, if your battery's dead, that you can, you can bump start the car sure. by rolling it and pop it in gear. And, and I have to do that with my motorcycle every, every time uh, at the end of uh, winter. Cause I, I'm not very good at uh, keeping the battery tender on it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, inevitably around this time of year, you see one of my boys pushing me down the road and starting at my Ducati. Oh. It's about that time. Awesome. I need to see that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. Just a moment. back free talk live sunday edition with wayne and michelle and we're having a ball tonight aren't we michelle oh yes a ball talking about all this stuff and earlier with john mueller talking about life in latin america and before uh before the break michelle we were talking about um you know life in general and uh and refresh my memory i'm, I'm having a mini stroke <laughs> A little a, a dementia moment? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We we kind of got off and we were talking a little bit about war and about how, you know, what war does create for? jobs. Nothing. Yeah, that's right. Like Absolutely the song. nothing. That's Say right. It. Say it again. And the whole broken window fallacy that, that a lot of people fall into that, that well, war creates jobs. Uh, World War II got, a, got us out of the Depression. No, it didn't. It, it created some jobs for a while, but it, it was papering over the problem. And, and, you know, we have to get back to, to creating wealth, to creating businesses, to, uh, to uh, produce things that people want to buy. And, you know, I remember, Michelle, when I was a kid, you know, I, I had a lot of my friends and their dads, they would take home $200 a week and the mom would stay home with the kids. And, right. and they made a great living. I mean, yep. they had a great life. Yep. A lot of them had two cars. You know, they might have had a small that mortgage. That were paid for. That were paid for. And those, cost, those cars cost $5,000 new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in 71, when Nixon took us off the, the international gold standard, that's when all hell broke loose monetarily. And then you started in the 70s, you started, of course, you saw stagflation, which is inflation and economic stagnation. And you, st- you started to see people use credit cards a little bit more by the late 70s. And and then you got into the 80s, and of course, you had another credit bust, a small mini credit bust that happened uh, in the 80s. And and um, and then in the 90s, people started to invest in tech stocks, you know, to keep up. because And of course, in the 70s, then also, also you had uh, the two earner households came into more prominence. And that was another way that people kept up their lifestyles as the, as the, as the wheel got faster and, and the gerbils were running faster and didn't realize <laughs> In that, the rat race. In the rat race, right. 
And then, so the 90s, you had the, the stock bubble. And then in the 2000s, you had the, the real estate bubble, which made people feel wealthier. And it, again, it was based on debt. And so we got, very slowly got away from um, actually uh, buying things with money we have already that we've saved uh, and, and being able to earn a good living without uh, having two people work, unless they want to. That's one thing. If, if, if a couple decides they both want to work and get ahead, that's fine. But, but if you look at how many, how many uh, moms or friends of mine worked back in the 60s and, and early 70s compared to now, there's no comparison. And, and, and you see a lot of couples now where they both work and, and they've got a couple of kids and they're still in debt. They still are, are, are basically um, uh, consuming more than they're earning. I'm really proud of my mom. She's a single mom, three kids, and she raised us in a town in, in a small town in Oregon. I actually used to kind of go back and forth between her house and my dad's place in Southern California, but um, she still has the house. And in fact, she got a reverse mortgage a few years ago because she got talked into that. And um, she doesn't really consider my counsel when she's mm-hmm. making some of her decisions. But in any case, it was, you know, she worked hard for that house and, um, but she was a social worker and I think she made like $19,000 a year. And, you know, I never had more than, I, I never had all that I wanted, but I always had all that I needed. And, um, you know, when I consider the difference between how she lived and lives, you know, uh, compared to even my dad, who was an entrepreneur and, um, you know, would take on a huge debt and leverage that to, you know, create an, another opportunity or whatever. And that's a very risky business. But um, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very risk oriented sort of person. But with my trading account, for example, I only use discretionary money to where if that was taken down to zero, which, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but I dumped six figures in my trading account when the IRS levied my property. So, um, so I was able to do that and still continue to feed my family the same because I wasn't using borrowed money. I was using, you know, discretionary money, which to me is a little different than savings, but, um, it was a capital. It was my capital. So it would have gone into a business of whatever sort. And, um, and people ask me, they're like, well, how could you survive the, you know, the, um, the, you know, the couple crashes or, or, you know, uh, drawbacks that we've had in the market. Well, I can make money whether the market's going up or down. So um, that's that's one way. Also, risk management. But then, as I said, using a capital account. And and uh, John Mueller mentioned that earlier that um, people don't end up having enough capital to sustain themselves through dry spells or downturns and things. In Latin America, the banks aren't so willing to lend money to people, especially if you're not from there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you buy a house down there. One thing that's kept the price of houses down in a lot of places is the fact that there's not a lot of lending. Just like student loans, for example, drove the price of a college education up sky high because then all of a sudden you had all this money, all this borrowed money that can only go for college education that got flooded into the the college market. And, And the colleges before that and universities had to charge what people could afford. And then once all this borrowed money was available, then they would jack their prices up. And the whole idea behind student loans to begin with was to make them more affordable and more so that more people could attain a college education. But it actually had the opposite effect. When I was in college uh, 25 years ago, I went to a school in the Bay Area. And it was at the time, it, there were only 500 students. And at the time, um, it was listed as one of the top business schools in the country, along with like Boston College and Harvard 
Um, and it was as expensive, I believe, as Harvard. Um, and so, I mean, it was outrageous. And uh, it's half of what I'm paying for my daughter's tuition now. Half. So what would that school apples to apples? What would that school be compared to what it was then though? Have you checked the tuition rates on that particular school? It's almost double. Almost double. Yeah. See, I I saw it when I first started college, my first year of college, that was before the student loan started. So my sophomore year, Jimmy. Oh my gosh. That was a long time ago. (laughs) Jimmy Cotta. Yeah. I didn't realize that you're so old because you you're so handsome and you look so young well thank you michelle that was a backhanded compliment if i ever heard <laughs> one right backhand me whenever <laughs> you can but my second year in college jimmy Carter started the, the student loan program and by the time so let's see freshman year i was a very pretty expensive private university down in connecticut it was thirty three hundred dollars a year you know before the student loan program started wow by the time i was a senior it was over eight thousand wow and, uh, you know, a lot of the universities were pr- crying poor at the time because you had the inflation during the 70s. A lot of them were having trouble heating the buildings because you had these big old oil furnaces and oil had skyrocketed. So the university, it was kind of a subsidy for the, for the universities is what it was, really. Well, I think, you know, I don't like to get into all the conspiracy talk and things like that. And sometimes I, I think that I, I don't say things sometimes for fear of opening Pandora's box and getting a flood of calls from all the conspiracy people. But in any case... Uh, one of the the interesting things that happened, though, in that transition is that fed, with federal funding and federal loans, uh, injecting money into the private schools, the schools, in order to accept those Pell Grants and things, mm-hmm. had to sell their souls. Yes, they had to make compromises and they yes. had to follow the federal regulations and they had yes. to... They basically had to bow down and, and, and kiss the Don's ring. Absolutely. And that's what they've done, unfortunately. So we'll be back shortly. Sunday Night Edition. Give us a call. 603-435-1105. The lines are opened. Retalk Live. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. The lines are open. Give us a call, 603-435-1105. We've had a, we've had a rather lively discussion tonight about a lot of different topics. With you tonight is Wayne. And Michelle. And, and I'm really sorry about that, actually. I think that I've been very, really scatterbrained. And I apologize. I mean, like you can see I'm having a cocktail right now. And before I know, I know. And before I came, I got high. Because, and this was, the, this was the choice, this was the choice you were going to get tonight. You were going to get kind of scatterbrain, nuts, a little kind of hard to keep tr- on track girl or bitchy girl. That yeah. was, so I... The bitchy one's kind of cool too, though. Well, I participated in a little herbal remedy. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm just, I, it's that time when I can get a little, I don't know, naggy, raggy, haggy... Kind of, you know, like us girls, us girls can get sometimes. I know. I know it well. <laughs> Believe me. So I self-medicate. So I, so I apologize if I haven't really been focused. Your mother's little helper, you mean? <laughs> My mother's that, little helper. Yeah, like this. <laughs> See, now I'm dating myself again. <laughs> yeah, so. <clears throat> but uh, So I haven't been too obnoxious, has, have I? No, you've been fine, Michelle. You're, really? You've been yourself. You've just been your, Michelle the, <laughs> on her game as usual and always covering, watching my back. Nut job. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say nut job. I and mean, we can all be a nut job at times. Mm. I'm a nut job sometimes too, Michelle. O- often, actually. Often? <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. That's, I'm sure you've heard yeah. all the stories. But no, we, well, you were just telling me a story on the break. I mean, people always are, you know, curious about what we talk about, especially if they catch us on the cam mm-hmm. and see us cracking up. And people have asked, you know, to be a fly in the room about what we were talking about, and uh, you know, to hear what we we're talking about. And you were just telling a story about about like flinging underwear into a crowd <laughs> at an Elton John concert and him catching them and making up a song about them. Yeah, well. <laughs> Okay, it wasn't exactly I, like I, I that. Had, yeah, I've, I've had kind of a wild life. A colorful pa- life? A, I, yeah, I'd say colorful because I was, you know. Because you were gay. Well, <laughs> was. Was. I just, it wasn't for me, Michelle. It wasn't for me. I like women. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm hopelessly heterosexual, but I, I don't judge anybody You're who's not. You're a lesbian. Not. I'm, I'm, I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. <laughs> and I like it that way. Because, you know, if I didn't, if I had all the body parts a woman had, I would just, I wouldn't get anything done. Because <laughs> you'd be busy playing with them? <laughs> yeah, I'd be playing with them all the time. Yeah. Oh my when God. I see my wife's bras around the house, I have to kind of keep myself away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ooh, I need to fan myself. Oh my don't, God. Don't, don't unlock that part of me, Michelle. You'll be sorry. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I come off as I'm moist in over here. Oh boy, here we go. See, see what happens when I open up. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh my God. Okay, Michelle, you're on as usual. You are the you are the awesome Michelle we all know. All right, okay, so let's bring it, rein it in, focus. Yeah, let's focus, Michelle. Okay, let's focus. <laughs> so John Mueller is a really interesting guy. He is, he is, and that's why I want to have him on the show. I was so excited. I was a little bummed that we couldn't do Skype here in the studio. That kind of frazzled you a little bit, actually. Like, you were really, I think you were pretty certain that that you were going to do that, which is actually, we can use that to segue into a conversation about um, things not turning out as you hoped they would, or, you know, and and being resilient and being able to bounce back from that. Go with it. Oftentimes, people accuse us libertarians of, of uh, being utopian minded, and and I don't know a single one who is actually none well, of us here minded, believe in a utopia. Yeah, but utopian minded is when you have um, illusions of something happening that can't. You know, uh, societies have functioned very well on a more voluntary basis. In fact, that's usually when societies function the best is when things are kept simple when before uh, society gets too complex, uh, because with complexity comes illusion comes. Um, um, you know, ripoffs. Uh, the whole the whole idea behind socialism, for example. You know, all the flowery talk you hear about about uh, everyone being treated equally. And well, they're trying to create equal outcomes. Yes. Whereas, and you can't have that. Right. Whereas it's impossible to create equal outcomes. Well, the only way to do that is to steal from one and give to another. But even you know, they've done these really interesting experiments with that, where they, um, where money will be taken and and the outcome made equal and those people that had more to begin with turn around and within a generation whatever that you know time period is is defined as within a generation they once again have more money you know or more wealth so you know there's you can't make ability equal well, there was or creativity, story. or drive, or ambition, or opportunity, even. Yeah. 
Well, that story about the pilgrims, I think it was John uh, Bradford, how they originally they came over here and they kind of did this, this socialistic model of farming where they're all going to share in the, in, the, in the crops and the output. And they almost starved to death. It wasn't until they <laughs> No were, one worked. Yeah, nobody worked. And, and everybody was kind of relying on the other person when, of course, when you get to benefit directly from the fruits of your labor, you're more incentivized to, uh, to innovate, to work harder. Incentivized. Is that a word? Yes, it is. Incentivized. I'm going to use that in my Scrabble. Are you? Good. Mm-hmm. That's a good word to yeah. use in Scrabble. But yes, that's exactly right, Michelle. And, but I think that when people call a libertarian utopian, they're actually projecting. Because the idea that, that you can have these men in a room somewhere that, that basically decide everything for people and take care of people from cradle to grave, now that is utopian. That is an illusion. That's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. People taking care of themselves, if they're, and if they're not harming anybody, leaving them alone is, is, is a natural way to live. That's, that's free-range humanity. Free-range humanity. Yeah, just like the chickens <laughs> and the cows. Yeah, free-range Oh, like Stefan Molyneux compares, you know, countries to farms and he's not far off, you know, um, that's how, that's how some people view the world. They see it, they break it down in these little plots of land that different farmers are on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the farmers of course milk the money from the people and then they hand it off to their friends elsewhere and, and their political allies. And, and, you know, you look at all the, the money that's created by the, by the federal reserve and, uh, how much money is borrowed by the by the federal government, <clears throat> and where does that money go first? That inflation, that inflationary funny money, goes to their friends first. So that's why you don't see people on Wall Street hurting right now. That's why you don't see real estate values falling around Washington D.C. because of all the high paid federal jobs. So the money does not actually is not distributed equally like like the 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 um, people who are socialistic claim. It's actually. Um, based on who you know, what connections you have. It's not based on merit. It's not based on, on how well you do, how innovative you are. Speaking of, did you read that article about Bernanke um, getting busted for taking money that had been uh, lent to the Federal Reserve and turning around and using that to lend money to foreign countries? Yes, I did hear about it. It doesn't <laughs> surprise me because a lot of this stuff has been kept secret. And if you remember about a year or two ago when they questioned him on Capitol Hill, about where a lot of the money went uh, for the TARP money. He said, I, I can't don't have tell to you. tell you. Yeah. He said, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is pretty brazenly arrogant, if you ask me. Sure. But that's what we're dealing with now. We, we've come so far now. We, we, we actually, people. The United but, States is dealing with that. I'm not because I don't pay income taxes. Well, actually, I do, I do pay, you know, I, I don't pay income taxes, but what I do pay. You pay is, gasoline tax? Yes. You, and I pay, pay an inflationary tax. Yes. Food has tripled in the last 10 years, the cost of food. Mm-hmm. So I'm on a fixed income, basically. And so I still spend the same amount of money for food each month. Um, but I no longer drink, you know, $30 bottles of wine every night with dinner. Mm-hmm. I drink one of those a week. Right. You know, I don't, um, I don't have as many dinner parties as I would have. I don't, you know, my kids... My daughter's away and my boys eat at school a lot. So, so there's that. But, um, uh, so I still have the same ratio of my money going to food, but I'm not buying nearly as much food. Now, that's a shame for those shopkeepers mm-hmm. because I would be spending more and providing, you know, uh, more, more grease and more exactly. uh, fuel into the economy if, if you exactly. had, if you had the disposable income. Well, not disposable income if the, co- if the costs of, of uh, goods and services were lower. 
Eventually they will be again. We didn't have the inflation that we've had. So we'll be right back for the final segment. Free Talk Live. Give us a call. With Wayne and Michelle. With Wayne and Michelle. 603-435-1105. Only moments remain. We'll be back. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Well, I didn't hear the bumper music come back on, so I'm let's just sure. let's just let's just hope that uh, we're on live. If we're okay. not, we've got a podcast. <laughs> so, Dale, thank you, has come over to help us a little bit, and I'm wondering if they, the audience, could just hear us going nuts and here going, blah 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 blah. What do we do? No, I had the mics off, but no. What happened was you could hear the the network uh, stuff, and all of a sudden it stopped, and I was waiting for the bumper music to come on, and it never came on. So. Let's just, uh, if we may be recording here and, and uh, we'll see what happens. But but the bumper music never came on, but we're on. So that's all that counts. And we're only moments remain. <laughs> Thank you for turning us and, on. And actually, Dale. we have a call. So let's, uh, let's see who this is. Hello. Good evening. You're on Free Talk Live Sunday edition with Wayne and Michelle. Oh, this is Nick from Illinois. Hey, Nick from Illinois. How are you? What, hey. What's on your mind tonight? I watched from. The news from Friday, just today, and I learned that uh, Pastor Terry Jones burned a Quran, and it caused protesters in Afghanistan to storm a UN something or other and uh, kill some people. Did you hear about that? You know, I heard something about it. Uh, lately, the news has been so overwhelming on all these things that that I didn't I didn't really look into it in a lot of detail. But to me, this whole intolerance of other people's religion thing just gets under my skin sometimes because. You know, if, if these people aren't harming anybody, why are you harassing them like that? Why are you agitating like this? It, it doesn't make any sense to me, Michelle. What do you think? Well, actually, I think that you ought to be able to burn the Quran. I think that yeah. you ought to be able to burn a Bible. I mean, I'm I'm a Christian, and so for me, the Bible is, you know, my holy book. However, it's just paper, you yes. know, and it's not sacred in and of itself. But, but, so, but some people take it wrong, and they take it as rude. an act of aggression, uh, you know, and it causes a lot of hostility, and it causes a lot of tension between people that's unnecessary. It's, it's uncalled rude. for. And so that leads me to, to my point, is that, you know, if, if people were to simply be polite and thoughtful and, and practice good manners to one another, then we'd get along so much better in this world, don't you think? We would. We would. If we started to live and let live a little bit more, that, mm-hmm. that uh, utopian libertarian philosophy to leave other people alone who aren't harming anyone else who aren't uh, perpetrating force or fraud against others leave them alone if they want to hurt themselves by something that's fine i i wouldn't say it's fine but you should persuade them out of it but you shouldn't pass laws and, and use force against people right that's that's the problem you know we all own our own lives and bodies and uh, i think it's despicable when people do that but yeah but, I, 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 but i but i do support his right to do it be, though yes you know? exactly i mean what I'm sorry, caller. I want to say, is your name John? Did you? What? I, I apologize. Tell me your name I'm again. Nick. Nick, I apologize. Um, so, Nick, don't you think that this is a, a beautiful opportunity to use Terry as a scapegoat to um, to say that because of his actions that the Afghanis, you know, revolted or, or whatever it is that, you know, ends up happening and as if it's him burning a Quran and not 
the United States government bombing the crap out of their country. Yes. You know? Yeah, it's this guy's fault because he burned a book. Not as yeah. opposed to, you know, the fact that our hospitals are filled with our children who have been, you know, injured, some of them fatally so. Oh, I, I noticed that immediately. It seemed like the news jumped all over him as a, as, as a scapegoat. And I was, I was really surprised by it. Uh, be, surprised? Because, well, <laughs> sort of. But it's just, uh, it, it seems to me like, uh, like what I kind of thought was that they would kind of jump on the, on the Middle Easterners and saying, well, look, doesn't this prove the point that Terry Jones is trying to make, which is that Islam is followed by a bunch of barbarians who, who kill people who just insult. Who yes, insult but, but think about it, Nick. It's not necessary to prove to the masses in this country that that uh, Middle Easterners or, or Arabs or um, Muslims specifically are are uh, are uneducated and are um, out to get us because we're the infidels, et cetera. Most people are convinced of that. I mean, it's complete hogwash, but most people are convinced of that. It's been drilled in the head in the media. Right. So now the United States government can continue to perpetrate perpetrate crimes against humanity over in Afghanistan um, because... Go ahead. You know, uh, uh, actually, I think maybe that proves the point even more so is that because nobody is holding the Afghanis responsible for their own actions, they're acting like, well, they can't help it. So mm-hmm. it's almost treating them more like animals to blame Terry Jones for this. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I don't really follow him very closely, but when I see things like this, I have to wonder what the motivations are. And, and you know, I, I know that a lot of people are really convinced that the, that the Muslims are out to uh, kill every person on earth who isn't Muslim and, and take over the world, but... I think that Muslims are, in many cases, are being used, and I think that we we have uh, we always have to have a boogeyman to make people afraid, so that we well, have the state to protect background. us. Yeah. Well, to give you some background, what Terry Jones did was um, he held a uh, so-called trial of Islam, and the verdict of that was guilty, and that's what resulted in the, uh, the stunt of burning the Quran. Mm-hmm. So, so he's a bit of an it. egomaniac. Sounds I mean, like it. Just let him, you know. Yeah, it was just him and his 15 church members. <laughs> right. And, and, of, and of course, that Woo. gets national coverage as if that's how everybody uh, uh, thinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's that's part one of the media brainwashing techniques they use is they'll, they'll take a little incident like that and they'll blow it up out of proportion to uh, get across some sort of political point or some point of persuasion with the public. And, uh, you know, when I see stuff like that, I just shake my head and look the other way. It really disgusts me to, to see things like that, but he has the right to do it and say it, but I don't have mm-hmm. to, I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to watch it. I don't have to care. But, um, you know, of course, wh- when people do things like this, you're always going to have the call to say, there ought to be a law. There ought to be a law. Right. And that's what we have to really be careful of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if anybody's going to blame Terry for the actions of the Afghanis, I, I would say that the media has, more of a role to play because it's just him and his his 15 people there yes the media has a lot more of a role to play making yep. it known to the afghanis in the first place that it happened do you know it's something like um i i don't even want to say what percent i know it's over 75 percent of um afghanis had no idea what 9-11 was <laughs> yeah really i believe yeah. it i believe it yeah yep. and i remember remember the rambo series of movies 
Right. You know, it's it's amazing and ironic how after I think it was Rambo two when he went over to Afghanistan and at the end of the movie, do you remember the little message that said about the brave, valiant people of Afghanistan? Because at the time, the Russians were the enemies. And the right. Russians were and we were, trained were the Taliban. Or the CIA trained the yes. Taliban to fight in the Northern Alliance. That's right. Blah, blah, Taliban blah, yes. and, and Al Qaeda was yeah. originally mm-hmm. um, the database that that stored the members of the Mujahideen fighters that the U.S. Mm-hmm. was training and arming. And, and of course, now they're the enemy and we're, we're doing the same thing the Russians were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, not we, but, the, but our, our government, our military are doing what the Russians were trying to do back it's in, not my in the military. 80s. <laughs> and the same thing that's happening in Libya now. Of course. Nick, thank you so much for calling in tonight. And uh, I appreciate it. And, and uh, I hope you call in again soon and, and have a good evening, okay? Okay. Bye. Good night, Nick. This has been the Sunday Night Edition of Free Talk Live with Wayne and Michelle. And we'll see you next month, or we'll talk with you next month. Yes. And it was a pleasure. We had a lot of fun, right, Michelle? Yes, it has. Thank you. Good night. Good night.